Welcome to So What Else. My name is Caitlin Elliott and I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories, the big important things they've been through, and also the random stuff. We're going to talk about it all here. This podcast is just me talking with fascinating people so that we can all hear what they have to share with the world. So what else? Hey guys, today's episode of So What Else, I get to interview my friend Richard Lee. Richard is the host of the Pursuit podcast, and he also works for International Justice Mission. We really get into it this episode with some heavy topics. Uh, We talk about mental health. We talk about human trafficking. Um, But don't worry, if you know Richard, you know that he's full of snark and sarcasm, which is why we get along so well. So there's plenty of that to fill your day as well. Hope you guys love this episode. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to this episode of So What Else. I'm here with my friend Richard Lee, who is the first man to ever be on So What Else other than Scott, but he doesn't count because he's my husband. No pressure. Right. So do you feel special? I guess. I mean, you also have had only a few episodes, so. Okay. Okay. But that's, I'm saying you know. like if it was like 20 episodes in and it was like f- our first man. Our first man. Well, it's still <laughs> special. Very so special. tell everybody how we know each other because it's kind of like random. Yeah. Well, your husband took my job. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I literally just said that to Scott. I was like, I'm going to ask him how we know each other. And he's going to go, your husband took my job. I, I mean, knew it. It is technically true. Your <laughs> husband took my job. Now, I wasn't in the job when he took it. That's true. Um, And I totally supported him being in that position. So let me let me inform your listeners. I was a campus pastor at Liquid Church in Mountainside, Mm -hmm. um, Mount God's favorite campus of Liquid Uh, Church. Always. Always. Um, And uh, anyway, so I resigned my position to move into the position that I'm in now with the organization that I'm in now, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes, absolutely. Ended up being hired as my replacement Mm -hmm. a few months after I left my position. And I remember when we first came, they were like, so like the old guy, Richard Lee, like he's still there. Like he's going to stay and he's going to be on the worship team. (laughs) And like his wife volunteers, like his kids are there. And Scott and I were like, what that's gonna be so intimidating like scott was like well i'm intimidated and i was like oh my gosh and then any you know people you were like beloved so people were always like richard rich and i was like this is horrible i was like they're bringing us into this situation (laughs) and he's still there and then it was like not weird at all totally we scott and i like we grabbed breakfast and it was like we hit it off right away totally and scott was like this is the best thing ever that he's here because he's such a resource to me you helped him so much. You were well, amazing. Well, I mean, he needed a lot of help. Well, he I mean, that's the truest thing ever. No. Um, I, I, it was, I mean, you, I think for Scott, it was, it was helpful. I think someone to have like the inside track of like, totally. hey, you know, what's this about? You know, how mm-hmm. do we, how do we do this? And, and he ended up, you know, not needing a lot of help and advice, but it, I think it was good just to have someone to, you know, be a sounding board. But I Absolutely. think for me, it was it was especially good for me and my family that it was you and Scott mm-hmm. because Scott's so secure in mm-hmm. his own abilities and his own standing and, and, you know, abilities and everything like that. And so for, for me, it was, it was good to just have someone come in and be a good pastor for one, mm-hmm. like could be a good friend. Um, but then also have somebody who's secure in, in his own uh, gifts and abilities to not have to, you know, look over a shoulder 
and mm-hmm. see like, oh, what's Richard doing? Is Richard talking to someone that, you know, you know, mm-hmm. totally. Um, yeah. So it was great. It was, it was honestly like a great, uh, um, situation couldn't have gone better well that's very sweet i mean i feel the same way like i feel like it couldn't have gone better it was amazing and we have this infamous picture that i'm gonna post when this episode goes up of like scott like giving announcements or what like he's like talking on the stage and you're behind him with your guitar like doing a thumbs down (laughs) and it's the best and we, we will obviously link to it because it was like the perfect explanation of just like your relationship well, yeah. And the, when I posted that on Facebook, I, I said, anybody who knows me knows that a thumbs down photo bomb is the highest compliment that I could Absolutely. give to someone. <laughs> Absolutely. But to, to, be, to be clear, Caitlin, that was not live. That was not on a Sunday. That was like during a run through. Rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, that was not. I would not do that. <laughs> That's well, still what I would. Maybe I would. You might. Maybe, yeah, yeah, you might. That's okay. Oh my gosh. Well, I also want to let everyone know that Richard just changed my whole life five minutes ago. And he was like, did you know, cause we're recording on zoom right now, which we we're still undecided if we're posting the, the video or not. And he was like, do you know, you can make yourself like look better on zoom. And I was like, what is this you speak of? He didn't say I looked bad. Oh, don't okay. worry. But All he right. was just like, <laughs> Caitlin, tell a story here. He was like, did you just wake up? Because you know that there's something that you can do on Zoom to help you. I was like, whoa, Caitlin, uh, you need some help. Uh, Go into settings. But honestly, for those who are listening, since we all live on Zoom, everybody, if you go down to the little triangle next to stop video, there's this thing you can manipulate how you look. Thank you, Richard. Yes, video settings, video settings touch up my appearance. It, I love that they don't even sugarcoat it. They're not like, they're not like adjust <laughs> light, you know, like it's literally like make me not look hideous in this moment. And that's- Remove hey. wrinkles. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know what? If I could just walk around like this, I'm yeah. gonna really have a hard time coming out of like COVID life because if Zoom can touch up my appearance and if every time I go out, I have on a mask, like what am I gonna do when I have to actually just like be in the world again? I really don't what know. What are any of us gonna do? It's really, I, I've forgotten how to interact in normal ways. I mean, we haven't seen anybody's legs the back of their head um you know it's so true oh my gosh it's so true it's gonna be weird but what are you gonna do are your kids doing virtual school or are they in-person school so my son is doing full virtual um so he stays at home um and my daughter is doing in person okay Um, but they're both doing half days okay okay so they're still doing half days how's that going um, I mean, as, as best as it can go, Yeah. you know, yeah. I just think that this whole generation of kids is just going to be so dumb. Oh, I, it's because really... there's no way that they're getting, I mean, for, you know, first of all, both of my kids are still going half day. Yeah. So this is like going on 12 months or no, I should say 10 months, nine months A lot, of yeah. half day. Yeah. Um, you know, and supposedly they're getting more work at home, but it's sure. unsupervised work. It's uninstructed work. And right. so. Um, you know, I'm obviously joking that they're going to be dumb, but, um, no, but it, it's certainly a challenge. And I will say we live in a upper middle class, wealthy suburb with mm-hmm. like resources up the wazoo. My kids yeah. have Chromebooks and, mm-hmm. and MacBook airs and this and that like sent home. So like they're doing fine. Mm-hmm. This pandemic has actually created such a divide with people who are in situations where they don't have resources. A thousand percent. They don't have flexibility. The parents, you know, have to go to work and, mm-hmm. and you know, all of these things. So all things considered, my kids are fine. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not, but it's ideal. not ideal. It's not ideal. There's going to be gaps for sure. You know, speaking yeah. as a teacher, it's like, you know, yeah. Is everyone doing the best that they can? Yeah. Is this yeah. like the best schooling like ever? No, right. like, you know, it's, yeah. there's definitely going to be gaps for sure. Yeah. But, um, Okay, so we're already like so far into this, but give us a 30 second in, like in, intro of yourself. Who are you? Who is Richard Lee? Wow. Um, I am a global officer of public engagement for international justice mission. That's my title. That is like such an intense title. <laughs> I would get that like tattooed on me somewhere. That's amazing. <laughs> well, that would be really weird if you got that. <laughs> But I also, so uh, what I do is I train speakers and help develop a system of, of equipping our speakers on the global stage as we go around and talk about what we do. Um, I also have a podcast. I am a preacher, a pastor at heart, um, and father, uh, husband to Teresa and wife, you know. Well, husband. you're the husband. She's yeah, your husband wife. to Teresa uh, <laughs> and father to two children. 16 and 14. Oh man. So you are like way ahead of us in the, in the parental department, because I keep saying, like you were just saying your kids, you know, online school and stuff like that. I have said this whole COVID thing, like our kids are two and four. Yeah. And I've said as much as it's not ideal to be like locked in your house for 10 months with two right. babies, I am glad that I'm not trying to monitor their schooling and like what assignments they're missing and what zoom calls they have to yes. be on and all of that. Cause that is like a whole thing. Yeah. I mean, people with, young school age kids. I don't oh. know. I don't know how they're doing it. Kindergartner. I mean, kindergartners on zoom, Lord Jesus, come back. Like right. that is right. such a struggle, but I whatever. Don't, I don't, I literally don't know how they're doing it. Oh, no, me neither. Uh, okay. So we, first I want to talk about your podcast, but before we get into that, I did want to rem remind you of this time. Okay. So you work for international justice mission, right? Uh, yes. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, I am like a huge fan of this podcast called The Relevant Podcast. Everybody go listen to it because do you know where I'm going with this? And so for many years, there was this guy on there called Eddie Koffeltz. And he is like, has such dry humor. He's so funny. Like, I think that he is hilarious. So one day, this is like a few years ago, I'm just like minding my own business, scrolling on Facebook. And I see Richard Lee posts a selfie with his friend, Eddie Koffeltz. And I was like, holy Oh, oh, like I literally, I was like, Scott, oh my, Scott, like, do you see Richard Lee is like friends with Eddie Koffold and Scott's like, who's Eddie Koffold? And I was like, the guy from the relevant podcast that I love. Like, are you kidding me? So I started fangirling. I acted like an idiot. I was like commenting on the picture. I'm like messaging you on the side. Yes. Eddie liked my comment. And I was like, <gasps> like, I was yes. like sweating. And I was like, oh my God, yes. oh, should I friend him? Do you think I should friend him? And Scott was like, take a beat. Like you are a psychopath. But I thought he, I think he's so funny. And I love that you're friends with him and you need to have him on your podcast. Eddie is a terrible human being. <laughs> he is not funny at all. And, no, he's and so that funny. was not him liking that photo. His, he has people. Stop who, it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh my, I'm like, I'm destroyed. <laughs> Eddie is my best friend at work. He's Aww. hilarious and he is everything that, I mean, that is who he is. Um, oh. And yeah, you know, he and I, when we, you know, we go to DC for, you know, quarterly meetings uh, with work and, uh, you know, we always hang out. We always 
you know. He's a fantastic. I think he's so funny and I am so sad that he's not on the relevant podcast anymore, but that's okay. I listen to his podcast, so it's fine. The best thing is if you ever meet Eddie in person, you ask him the question, Eddie, who do you think is the funniest person in the world? And he says, well, me. And I don't blame him. And, but, but then he says, because like I, my humor is perfectly crafted towards me. So of course <laughs> I think I'm the funniest. That's person. true. That's a really, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good explanation. I like that. Yeah. So your podcast is called The Pursuit. It came out in what, 2019? You started mm -hmm. it? Tell yes. me about, because I mean, hello, you have some big names on there. You've <laughs> had Abe Cho, Eugene Cho, Rich Birch, shout out. We love you, Rich. Rich. Um, but like you have some like really big names on there. How are you so well connected? How do you know these people? I literally don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I could tell you the way I am connected to each one of these people. Um, but I really don't know. Like, I mean, it's just one of those things that I end up finding myself um, in situations where I end up meeting fascinating people, That's you know, awesome. like Abe and Abe, I met from seminary, Eugene Cho. I attended his church, you know, 20 yeah, yeah. plus years ago. Um, John Tyson, I met, um, he spoke at our church retreat you know, many, many years ago before he was, you know. So just uh, the church world. Yeah. You know, I think I will say this. I think I am um, naturally inclined mm -hmm. to, to be mindful of fascinating people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And connecting with people. Yeah. And so it, it may be that I meet more fascinating people than other people, or mm -hmm. maybe just that I'm more mindful of yeah. having intentional connections with people. And mm -hmm. as you connect with them over time, you end up probably meeting, you know, fascinating people. I also have no problem going up to someone and introducing myself. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. that's awesome. That's how you yeah. get to know these people. Yeah. That's amazing. So what kind of led you to start a podcast? Like what brought that about in you that you were like, hey, I want to do this. I want to interview these people. Yeah, well, you know, it's actually a little bit what you were uh, just referencing. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of looked at, at um, some of the people that I was friends with or in acquaintance with, and I was like, th these people are really fascinating people with really fascinating stories, mm -hmm. and I've been able to see different you know progressions in their own spiritual life and in mm -hmm. their own journey, and I was like, I when I was 20 years old, I would have loved access to some of these stories. Yeah. And so I, I thought, you know what, let me just start a podcast and interview my friends, right? Start mm -hmm. out with my friends mm -hmm. to hear their faith journey. Because I bet you there are people that look at um, Eugene Cho and say, I would love to be where Eugene Cho is. Yeah. But don't realize the story and the different ways that it, it you know, God had to take him through all of these, you know, dips and valleys for him to be able to get where he is. And so as a way to encourage people yeah. in their twenties or whatever, to basically say, you know, if, as long as you just keep taking faithful steps in front of you, mm -hmm. God will, you know, meet you along the way. Um, and, you know, one of the things I realized is that it has a lot broader of an appeal as a podcast than I thought. I was thinking like 25 year old to 35 mm -hmm. year old faith leaders, like mm -hmm. in training, um, yeah. but it's actually had a broader um, appeal, which is, I think, testimony to the fact that people just want to be reminded of God's faithfulness in life. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, th yes, I feel like you are 100% accomplishing that. I mean, I'm not even like a pastor. I'm a pastor's wife. And I listened to the Abe Cho episode recently. And um, for people who don't know, Abe Cho took over for Tim Keller. If you don't know who Tim Keller is, you're dead to me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he was just like, whatever, a very famous pastor in New York City. Um, and Abe Cho took over for him. And you did this awesome interview with him where like I was literally driving down Route 80 in my minivan, like crying because he was talking oh. about how, you know, so it's like you think, okay, here's this guy. He took over from Tim Keller. Like, you're awesome. You probably think highly of yourself. Mm. Like, you know, you've made it, whatever. And he was talking about his battle with mental health. And, you know, here's this guy, a pastor of thousands of people. And he was like, yeah, like I was working at, you know, the church for a long time and went through this yeah. really deep time of burnout, which led to a really deep depression, like lots of counseling, medication. And he was like, yeah. I'm still on the medication today, you know, yeah. and they when they asked me to, you know, step up and like consider taking the role from Tim Keller, I was like, no. I can't do that. Like, do you right. honestly think that I can do that? Hello? Okay. Like, I'm depressed. And I was just like, so floored by his honesty and transparency in that because like, I know that things are getting way better, right? If with people being honest about battles with mental health and things like yeah. that, but we're not where we should be, right? And there's still so many Christians that think like, if you pray enough, right. you'll be fine, yeah. you know? And I just think that it was so cool that he was like, yeah, I need counseling. Yeah, I need medication. And also talking about the side of it where he was pretty clear. I thought that he was like, yeah, I was dealing with like burnout from ministry, you yeah. know? And like, this is so huge to talk about. I feel like in the church community that like our pastors are people too, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I was raised as a pastor's kid. Now I'm a pastor's wife. This is the only life I know, you know, which is great and also bad right because it's like i know like the the dirty behind the scenes stuff you know what i mean yeah. and it's like pastors are people right. who deal with this stuff and i think that that was like so powerful that he's like this big time pastor and didn't feel the need at all to be like i have it all together and i'm amazing yeah you know yeah um caitlin you're not a pastor's wife scott is a podcaster's husband you know what can we, that's going to be the quote. I'm going to put, we're posting that on Instagram. You heard it here first, folks. Scott, enjoy editing that. <laughs> it's going to mysteriously disappear from this episode. <laughs> and yeah, I'll be right. like, hey, wait a minute. Where was that quote? And he's like, oh, I don't know what happened. Like, there was like but, some like, you know. Yeah. I do want to pick up, um, you know, what you're talking about with Abe. And, you know, the funny thing is, and and you may relate to this as a, as a podcaster, is when I was interviewing him, mm -hmm. I had done a few interviews mm -hmm. by then, but as I was interviewing him, I knew that's my launch episode. Totally. Oh, yeah. Because the way that he was telling his story, the vulnerability that he was mm -hmm. leading with, and the relatability, accessibility of his story, I was totally. like, people need to hear this. Um, and, you know, the amazing thing uh, I think about Abe's story was how, again, how, how open he was with all of those challenges, mm -hmm. but how confident he was yeah. and easy it was for him to tell the story. Yes. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, this is the hundredth time he's told this story. Yeah. It wasn't the first time. It wasn't totally. the second time. And I think that there are people probably listening to this now who are mm -hmm. thinking, I, I've never told anyone that story of mm -hmm. my life. 
-hmm. or maybe I've only told my spouse, or or maybe I've only told my counselor and my spouse. Mm -hmm. And I just want to encourage you, the hundredth time you tell that story, it will come out with the ease and confidence without the stigma of, you know, maybe the first or the second or the third time that you tell that story. Mm -hmm. And that really will be the indication of the place it holds in your life and in your mind and in your heart is yeah. it's not the other people who, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, the place that we allow it to hold in our own hearts. Yeah. I love that. And I just like, I love that. That's so, that's so beautiful. And I just love that. It's like such a perfect example of how like God uses broken people, like totally. all people are broken, but it's like, hello, like you do not have to have it all together for God to use you, you know? And like, I just like, I love that. Like when they asked him to like take over for Tim Keller, he was like, no, I can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, no, I can't do that. And it's like, slowly he took time to think about it and pray about it. And it's like, God revealed to him, like, no, like you can do it because I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And where was he when God revealed that to him? In in counseling. counseling? I love it. I was like, yeah like as i'm listening to it because i think it's so awesome you know like because it's just like it's so important for people to hear this and it's like you know i've been pretty open about the fact that like i've been in counseling on and off for six years and scott's really open about that too but you know i've been on medication for anxiety for about a year Mm -hmm. and i'm open about it but i still like choke a little on the words as they come out right Right. you know what i mean and like there's still like some settings where i feel like uh, how's this is, is this going to be received? Okay. Like not sure. You know what I mean? And I think it's just like reminding yourself, like, this is your story, you know, and you being honest with people about like the broken parts of you is going to just encourage people. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that can only encourage people and help them to see like, oh, okay. Like, right everyone doesn't have everything together and God can use you no matter what and help you. You don't have to stay in that like broken place of just like, well, like everything's horrible. Like there you can like, God can help you out of it. Yeah. And just like Abe being comfortable in his situation, encourage you, you being comfortable in your situation can also open up that comfort in other people. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Um, So you met Abe at in seminary. Did you guys go to Gordon Conwell? We did. That's where my dad went. Oh. I remember going with my dad when he had to go defend his thesis because he was yeah. doing like a distance learning program or whatever. So okay. he literally drove up there and he defended his thesis and I toured the college. Like, cause I was a senior in high school and he went and defended his thesis and I like yeah. toured the college. It was so funny, but I didn't go there, but I wanted to, but it's okay. Hello, I'm over Pastor it. Chicola. Hi, Pastor Chicola. Hi, dad. He, he better listen. Are you kidding me? I like quizzed it like last week. I was like, so what did I talk about this week in the the podcast? And he was like, I didn't get to it yet. And I was like, "Mm, that's nice, dad. It's okay. So, I mean, you might not be able to answer this question because it's like asking if you have a favorite child, but do you have like a favorite interview that you've done? On the podcast? Yes. um, I will say, I, I, so sort of the format for me is like, I try and find a faith leader that I think people will know. Mm -hmm. And then, um, tell the story that they don't know, mm. right? So like people know Abe Cho. And so yep. I want you to hear the story that you don't know. Yep. Uh, people know John Tyson, people know Audrey Assad, mm-hmm. but I want to tell you the story that, that you don't know about them. The, the one person that I think people didn't know is um, April Tam Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found her story of what she is doing so fascinating. She is a Wall Street banker, mm. like kicks butt, 
all throughout the day. And then um, at night, she opened up a restaurant in Times Square that is vegan, that donates its proceeds to um, organizations that support people in trafficking or in you know transition and things like that, homelessness. Um, and she employs people with barriers to employment um, yeah. through homelessness, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, prison, you know, those sorts of things. And so it's just such a fascinating thing to be able to do that as a day, as a night job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just like, so excited because I was like, I don't think people know who she is, Yeah, um, but I just want so many people to hear what she's doing. That's awesome. That's so powerful. I yeah. mean, that's, that's so cool. Um, I love that. So you mentioned that her restaurant helps like go toward people who have maybe been trafficked. Yeah. Now let's transition into international justice mission. Okay. So you work for this organization for a lot of people, like they've maybe they've heard of IJM. They they're com- they're used to the idea of, you know, right. oh, trafficking, things like that. But <laughs> honestly, like not that long ago, I was one of those people that thought like slavery was abolished in the 1800s. Like, why are we like, it's over, right? You know, and then I found out that that's not true. Can you tell us, like, what is IJM? What is human trafficking? Like, what is all this stuff? Yeah. So the reality is that the evil of the transatlantic slave trade that mm-hmm. is so familiar to so many of us through our history books, that evil um, went sort of went underground and transformed into what is modern day slavery. And so modern day slavery it exists all throughout the world mm-hmm. in every country, even though it is illegal in every country, because when you have people in power next to people in poverty, it creates a indifference. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it creates a difference of, of the balance of power, mm-hmm. which creates an uh, environment where exploitation and enslavement can occur. Mm-hmm. So it's really this, this imbalance of power and poverty mm-hmm. um, that creates this sort of situation. So you will have boys fishing on a lake in Ghana at the age of five uh, Mm -hmm. for 10, 15, you know, 16 hours a day, every day. You will have families working off um, a $20 loan in a factory in India, or you have girls sold in brothels in Southeast Asia or in the Dominican Republic. Um, And you also have young children being exploited in front of a webcam in Mm. in places like the Philippines. Um, And so you have all sorts of different examples of people who are being exploited um, and an international justice mission. International justice mission is working to uh, work with transforming and strengthening justice systems in the local governments to be able to um, basically enforce the law which then deters the criminals and then thereby protects people. Mm, all right. So how many people, I mean, do we even have like a ballpark of how many people are, you know, enslaved today? Yeah. So the current estimates, the sort of worldwide estimates um, from the global slavery index is that there are 40.3 million people enslaved today. <sighs> So 43, I'm sorry, 40.3 million people is, is sort of a hard number for us to get our mind around. But mm-hmm. if you took the population of New Jersey mm-hmm. and New York yeah. and Connecticut yikes, and Rhode Island oh. and Massachusetts oh my God. and Vermont, that's about 40 million oh. people. 
So that, you know, Caitlin, the interesting thing is, right, if those states were all made up of just enslaved people, yeah, everyone would know about it. Every American yeah. would know about yeah. it. The whole world would know about it. Like what's going on in the Northeast of, uh, of America yeah. that all these people are enslaved in this right. one area. But somehow 40 million people have sort of slipped under the radar of the world's consciousness and the world doesn't know about it, isn't angered by it, and really right. isn't doing enough about it. Why is that? Like, why do people not know about about it? And why are they not angered by it? Like, what is what is the disconnect? Yeah, I think that part of it is that the reason why slavery is able to happen is because it it has to be a secret, right? Like, mm -hmm. and so it, you know, the estimates are difficult to ascertain because mm -hmm. it's sort of projections, because obviously, we're not going in and just counting people. Um, it's, it's sort of projections of based on the sort of circumstances in the in certain societies mm -hmm. but um you know slavery works because it is secret because it is right. you know under the radar and so when you have an industry that thrives under the radar then naturally they're going to try and keep it under the radar which is why so many organizations you know we just had the super bowl right um yeah and uh one of the things that you may have seen over the last couple of years is this theme of anti-trafficking around the Super Bowl. Yeah. Because it gets lauded as this sort of largest, you know, trafficking event in American, you know, throughout the year, in America throughout the year. And so um the part of that is just bringing that to the forefront of letting more and more people know about that. What does that mean exactly? Because I have heard that, but for people who have not heard that, like why is the Super Bowl like this big traffic, like what, what does that all mean? Yeah, because essentially um, it is the, the, the Super Bowl is just a game on mm -hmm. Sunday, right? But there's really basically a week of lavish parties where right. celebrities and everybody like that is coming in. And so because of the sort of two week long parties uh, uh, leading up to the Super Bowl, you have a bunch of people who will take, um, uh, people, uh, girls across the state to basically populate these parties and, mm. um, sell these girls in these places, prostitute these women, um, in these parties so that they can make the most money, right? If, if we know every year where the biggest party is going to be in, in one city, Mm -hmm. Then, you know, and I'm a trafficker, I'm going to bring all of the girls to that party. And so that's really why they're saying, you know, this is the most trafficked event in, you know, American throughout the American year. So trafficking is everywhere. Like it's all over the globe. It's here. It's sure. in America. Yes. <sighs> what drew you to international justice mission specifically? Yeah, well, the work that International Justice Mission does specifically, I mm -hmm. think is so compelling because on one hand, right, you have the problem of violence, right? You have the problem of slavery mm -hmm. and ultimately you want to protect the people from violence. And mm -hmm. so it's not just a, a matter of removing the people that are in violence, in a situation of violence and slavery. It's actually, you want to protect people from ever needing rescue from those right. situations. But one of the things that we have realized in 20 years of our work is that in order to get from, to gain access to the people who are victims of violence and to provide protection from violence, you actually have to ladder up 
into the governmental justice systems. Because the mm-hmm. only way, because I, I listen, I can go into a brothel and I can rescue right. a girl from sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening? I've removed one girl from a brothel mm-hmm. and then the, the brothel owner says, oh, well, I have now a vacancy. So then now he'll go yeah. and traffic someone else. Ugh. And so I may have ended slavery or sex trafficking for that one individual, but have I affected slavery in that community? Right. I would say no. If anything, I've actually just spread the problem to another community. And so yeah. in order for slavery to end in the community, you have to arrest the slave owner. But for you to arrest the slave owner, you have to work with the justice system. Because literally, I have no authority to arrest the slave owner. Right? right. I can't lock them up. Um, I have no authority. And the only way that the problem, uh, the solution of of justice can scale is if you work through the justice system. And so really that's the work of IJM is taking people in violence to protect them. You have to ladder up into the justice system, which is a lot, um, which is a very uh, long and arduous and difficult work because you have to work with police, um, uh, police officers and law enforcement and um, judges and lawyers and the, you know, the justice system. And Mm -hmm. so um, including aftercare and things like that. So you have to work on sort of all levels of the justice system um, to be able to bring about real long and in lasting change. But when you do strengthen a justice system and they begin to do the work themselves, then you can see the long lasting, enduring results of protection of those people that will never need rescue to begin with. That's blowing my mind because I feel like, you know, I've done short term missions and things like that. And I feel like, you know, people think like, oh, like I, you know, I'm going to go and help this person and move on. And there is there is nothing wrong with that. That is lovely. You know what I mean? But if you want to make it so that short term missions or whatever doesn't have to keep going back to this town forever and right. ever. What do you have to do? Right. You have to change the the system, right? And right. it's but it's crazy with sex trafficking. I never thought it that way thought about it that way, right? Like when you hear about sex trafficking, when this like problem first, like for some people, maybe this is the first time they're ever hearing about this, right? right? Or but whatever. Like whenever you first heard about it, your natural thought is first like, well, why don't they just kind of like get guns and like bust into the brothel and grab right. everyone and then run away. Like, right. I feel like we could do that. Like Rescue I could gather up. Yeah, right. like let's go in there and just grab the girls and run. But you're right, like, okay. And you've helped that girl, which is great, obviously. Which is great. That's, that's fantastic. But you've, like when you said you've actually spread the problem, it's like, yeah, you're because yeah. then there's just these vacancies and they're just going to go get more people. So right. you have to go to the root. Like you have to stop the system of enslavement, which is nuts. So I think that that's really awesome that IJM. So basically, IJM works with the government, works with the law enforcement to change yeah. the system. Yeah, well, we do both, right? So we are boots on the ground. We have yeah. investigators who um, do undercover investigations whether it's, you know, fishing on a lake or whether it's, you know, rice mills, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in countries or whether it's brothels or things like that. So we have investigators that are boots on the ground that do Mm -hmm. actually accompany police with rest on rescue operations. Um, But then we also have lawyers that partner with prosecutors in the country. We have aftercare workers that partner with social services. And, you know, we have advocates that, you know, work with lobbying governments 
um, and things like that. So we are really a sort of comprehensive approach to be able to go and uh, address this issue, not only just singularly, individually with the people that are um, uh, enslaved, mm -hmm. but um, also at the governmental level. Wow, that's amazing. So how long, you've been working for IJM for what, almost six years now? Yeah, six years. How has this changed you? Like, I can't imagine that you could do this work for six years and you're just like, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things that until you step in and I, I'll, I'll bet that there are people right now that are listening mm -hmm. who are waking up, their eyes are, you know, their, their pupils are dilating and mm -hmm. they're seeing things differently um, for the first time or maybe for another time. Yeah. And it is one of those things that when you as a Christian step into the world of justice, mm you begin to see the world differently. You begin mm -hmm. to see God differently. You begin to see discipleship differently. You begin to see the gospel differently. Um, when you read the Bible, you begin to see the themes of justice all throughout scripture, mm -hmm. that it wasn't just about, you know, Jesus coming and, um, you know, forgiving sins, mm -hmm. right? You know, spiritual sins, but it was about restoration of yeah. humanity. It was about restoring that which was broken. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it affects the things there's, there's a little bit of an algorithm that goes on, right? You know, like we joke about like Facebook algorithms and stuff mm -hmm. like that, but there, there seems to be a little bit of a change in the algorithm mm -hmm. of your perspective. And so you begin to see stories in the news, you begin to see stories posted on your Facebook, mm -hmm. you begin to see people in your community or in your mm -hmm. church and you begin to see that with a different lens mm -hmm. and you begin to see how um, there is injustice in, you know, when you have people in power next to people who are in poverty or people who are in um, uh, powerless. Yeah. And so you begin to see that. And, and I will say it has mm -hmm. enriched my view of who God is mm. the more I have stepped into justice. The more I've stepped in, the more I think my eyes notice, my heart breaks, my mind thinks mm -hmm. about those people that are vulnerable in our society. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I mean, so what can people do to help? So someone's listening to this right now and they're like, their mind is blown, you know, they're totally freaked out and like, I got to do something. What, right. what can people do? Well, I, there's this impulse, right? I think we mm -hmm. say we we want to do something. I want to, you know, do something. So what I would mm -hmm. say is quit your job, sell your house, move your family, and go to one of these countries where this is happening, and you know, uh, you know, become a lawyer in that country and start trying cases. All right. Or if you don't want to sell your house and quit your job mm -hmm. and move your family, find people who are doing that in the country that already yeah um and and give generously yeah. now i i say that um mm -hmm. as somebody who works for nonprofit but it doesn't have to be ours it doesn't have to yeah. be you know ijm but uh, when i say that i i say it a little tongue in cheek mm -hmm. but the legitimacy of what i'm trying to say mm -hmm. is born out of the fact that even if I were to quit my job and move my family and, you know, become a lawyer in that country, I'm still at a disadvantage because I don't know the culture. I don't know yeah. the language and this and that, but there are people mm -hmm. who do in that country. 
And the best thing for me to do for those people is to fund an organization that is supporting them because there mm. are people that are doing that work. And so let me keep my house, keep my family, keep my job, but I will give generously, sacrificially to those people who need the support to do the work that they're doing in the places that really, realistically, I can't go. Right. Ugh, I love that. I love that. that and again, like, it doesn't have to be international justice mission, but right. there are dozens of organizations around the world that are doing work mm -hmm. that we don't do. And, you know, when you think about missionaries, right, we all yeah. probably grew up supporting missionaries. Right. And, you know, what, what am I doing when I support a missionary? I'm supporting a missionary who goes to a place to do a work that mm -hmm. I can't do. Yeah. And so that's really what you're doing when you fund an organization is you're funding an organization to go and do a work that I can't do. In, a, in IJM's case, we don't send people as much as we hire people in that country. So when you talk about Cambodia, we have mm -hmm. Cambodian lawyers and Cam Cambodian yeah. investigators. When we talk about Dominican Republic, we have, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, Dominican uh, lawyers and, and investigators and things like that. So that's amazing that it's so it's like you partner with the country. I think that that's so awesome that even though, like you said, you guys are boots on the ground and things like that, you're not just like flying in, dropping people in there, taking over and leaving. Right. It's like you have partnered with the government, with the law enforcement that is already there. You're partnering with them. You're hiring them. You're working with them to change it, to change yeah. things. Yeah. I think that's so incredible. That's awesome. Um, how long has IJM been around? <laughs> um, 20 years. Yeah, over 20 years. Wow. So I imagine it's obviously grown and I'm mm -hmm. sure changed the way that they've done things over the yeah. years. It's yeah. Amazing. I, <clears throat> in, in fact, um, we are the largest anti-slavery organization in the world today oh. um, because we've been doing the work over 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I think we've realized over 20 years is we've sort of like diagnosed the solution. We've diagnosed mm -hmm. the, the, the problem and the vaccination for this issue. Um, hashtag COVID, right? Um, <laughs> we've, you know, we've taken the vaccine and now our sort of next 10 years, we want to now take this and, and to disseminate this vaccine throughout the world, yeah. um, the vaccine of violence. Yeah. Now, speaking of COVID, how has COVID impacted your work? at IJM? Because of course, I mean, it's impacted everything. I'm yeah. sure it's impacted IJM. Well, you remember back, mm -hmm. gosh, 11 months ago. I know. What was every, that life? Yes. Right. <sighs> um, when, when COVID first hit, it mm -hmm. was, okay, here's what you can do. Keep your distance and wash your hands, right? <laughs> Stay at home, you mm -hmm. know, those sorts of things. So what do you do when you live in a city, in a mm. slum where keeping your distance is impossible. Yeah. What do you do when you say, wash your hands in, in communities where you don't have access to clean drinking water? Yeah. What do you do when you say stay at home where your, your victimizer, um, your perpetrator of violence is found in the home? Mm. You know, one of the works that we do is violence against women and children. Yeah. And what do you do when domestic violence, intimate partner violence is your biggest yeah. threat? And so your threat of your threat of danger and of, of, you know, um, your threat, your biggest threat is not 
COVID outside of the home, but is actually violence inside of the home. So it made it such a difficult time and a difficult thing. And that's, that's not true. That's not only true internationally, it's true here in America as well with domestic violence. Yeah. And so you realize that what COVID done has done is really been an accelerator, I think, of these, um, these the imbalances in these communities. And mm-hmm. so, you know, as difficult as it has been here in the United States, it has also been difficult and maybe increasingly more difficult in places where keeping your distance and washing your hands and staying at home provides a bigger threat um, to the individual communities. So one of the things that IJM has been doing is we've been, we uh, very early on adapted our work to sort of partner with police. Mm -hmm. We've provided uh, PPE, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to help with police. And, but one of the things is that we were, we never stopped, right? We never stopped um, rescuing. We never stopped working Mm -hmm. with police to, you know, conduct these rescues because we knew that this sort of stuff was still going on. Um, You know, so they, you know, you remember back, you know, a year ago and everything was, everybody's talking about essential work. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things we recognize early on is rescuing people is still essential work. And so we were not going to stop. That's incredible. And that's such a good reminder, right? To us who like, you know, for me, sometimes it's like, you know, I have days where I'm like, this is so hard that I'm home for like the 900th yeah. day with my four-year-old yeah. and my two-year-old. And look, not taking away from that. Yes, that is hard. But there are people out there, like you like you just said so eloquently, like telling people to keep their distance and stay home, for some people, that's a worse death sentence than COVID, yeah. you know? Like True. that's more dangerous for them to stay home, yeah. you know? And it's just such a good reminder you know, that yeah. like there, this world that we live in, like there is stuff, there are horrors that go on that we don't even want to think about. We don't even know about, you know, and um, I just think that the work that you're doing is so admirable and amazing. And just thank you so much for sharing about it with us. See, and Scott said that you never actually really work. <laughs> <laughs> and look at you saving people around the globe. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think that that's really going to be like so amazing for a lot of people. So let's just end with some like really deep rapid fire questions. You're gonna have to dig deep on these. Okay. Number one, what shows are you currently watching? Okay. So, um, my wife and I, um, we've watched every episode of law and order SVU that has ever been made. Oh my gosh. It's our favorite I've never show. watched any Law & Order. It's So Law & Order is different than Law & Order SVU. Law & Order okay. SVU is, I mean, it. it's not the lightest show. It's not a it's you know, it's sitcom. Heavy. That's okay. I can um, deal with heavy. But yeah, we but we we do like that. Um, we're getting through Homeland, finishing up through Homeland. Oh. Um, yeah. I will say one thing that I have discovered in COVID yes. is K-dramas, Korean dramas, Oh, on Netflix. Nice. Don't sleep, don't sleep on it. Don't sleep on it. Okay. Um, it will be a different genre for you yes. than you're used to. But yes. hey, you know, all right. All the parasite, and uh, you know, maybe we're open to something different. Yes, I'm always looking for a new show. Ooh, I, I would recommend uh, Itaewon Class. Okay. On Netflix. Um, okay. Or Crash Landing on You. Those are the two sort of okay popular. I'm writing crossovers. this down. 
All right. I see like a trillion books behind you. Are you a big reader? I am. Uh, well, those are leftover seminary books. Um, oh my gosh. I made Scott get rid of so many of those. After we moved so many times, you don't understand. I'm such a bad person, but it was like we moved when we first got married into an apartment, boxes and boxes and boxes of books. And I was like, you're not reading these. Like, are you reading these? Like, are you kidding me? Like, what year is it? Get it on Kindle. So right. we like got rid of a bunch the first time. Then we moved again. Then we moved across the country to New Jersey. Now we recently bought a house and we still have a lot of these dang books. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Caitlin, what you should do is every week, just throw one out. I need to. Until he notices. Because he will never know. He won't. You are 100% correct. Like, literally, we have these bookshelves behind us. They're all Scott's books. I have one half of a shelf. And yeah. literally, the books are like, the notebook. <laughs> and he has, like, commentaries. Right. And, like, all of these spiritual books. And I'm like, whatever. It's yeah. fine. Jesus loves me anyway. So I um, don't like reading. Okay. But I enjoy someone reading to me yes at, at 2x speed oh oh 100 because who's got time um totally. so i do audiobooks um, yes and ever since i discovered audiobooks probably about eight to ten years ago mm -hmm. um you know on my phone and stuff like that um i've you know i just consume books as i'm driving as i'm mowing mm -hmm. the lawn as i'm shoveling snow yeah. um you know all of that stuff so um it just is a way I, I even listen to books like as i'm running i don't listen to music yeah um so you know i that, that's how i do it i i love that i am the same as you so i love to read but only like a novel right like a beach yeah. read i don't yeah. like to sit down and read like nonfiction, a serious thing. So I'm the same as you. If I listen to it, I can listen to it while I'm making dinner and blah, 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 blah. And I can at least get 90% of what they're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if my yeah. kid interrupts me like a hundred times, I'm still getting some of it. Right. I'd rather get 90% of a book at 2x speed than 0% of a book I will never read. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I like for me, I don't know if it's a parenting thing, but like I will fall asleep. Like if I sit down with a book that is like, you know, information, I, I'm going to be asleep. There's just no way. But if I'm listening to it and I'm doing folding laundry, then I'm not yeah. going to fall asleep, obviously. So yeah. I love that. Um, what snacks are your favorite snacks right now? We always end up talking about this at the end. And I've gotten some really wonderful snacks out of this. Well, um, ever since I turned 30, 15 years ago. I was just going to say 30,000 years ago. <laughs> I have uh, needed to monitor what I put inside my body because uh. it stays there longer. So um, one of the things that I've been trying to do is, is monitor my carb intake. Mm. Wah, wah. Very And fun. so um, I've discovered these parm crisps. Oh, basically, the wisps? Yeah, basically it's, it's all the same family, right? Yes, so yes. Like, the wisps, they have phenomenal. Uh, right. right. And it's it's cheese. It's and, so good. Yeah. And I put them on salads sometimes. I crunch them up and ooh, put them on salads. Yes. Or just eat them. Good. Yeah. So good. I like giving them to my kid. You know, okay. So like you're in the car, whatever, the kids always around, like diaper bag snacks. If all they're ever eating is like pretzels and Cheerios that doesn't actually fill them up and then they're starving. So yeah. I like giving them like those wisps or whatever because yeah. I'm like, at least they're eating cheese, but I don't have to keep yeah. it refrigerated. So it's like a great diaper bag snack. Yeah. I, <laughs> Excellent. I'm not in that stage anymore, but yes, <laughs> oh fully endorse gosh. it. I can't wait to be done with the diaper bag. 
even though we never leave the house anymore. So where I guess I'm not actually really even using the diaper bag. So it doesn't really matter. Yes. yes. So you work out, you run. Are you a fit? Well, man? I broke my leg in September. Shut up. How did you break your leg? Okay. So I, I was playing in a, in a Korean baseball league oh, with my church friends. Oh my gosh. And I was covering third on a steal and I stepped into the baseline and the guy slid into my leg. Oh, oh, did you have to get taken So check directly? the show notes for the uh, photo of my x-ray. No, I'm just kidding. Please send um, that. Oh my gosh. And, uh, but he was out, first of all. Okay, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. You sacrificed your body for the team. Yeah, and I was literally like, oh, this is, um, this is gonna be painful. Um, and so I was in the hospital for three days, had a surgery. Whoa. Oh yeah, yeah. Yikes, yeah. and this was all during COVID. This was during COVID. So yes. nobody could even like, could your wife even come in? And they see? allowed one person at a time. So I saw my son and then my daughter okay. and then my wife um, in the uh, emergency room. But they put a rod in, uh, into my leg and <gasps> they kept saying, you know, so you're, you know, you can't hurt your leg anymore. It's full weight bearing. And so I was like, like immediately. Oh. And they were like, yeah. So <gasps> you're, iron you know, what? <laughs> titanium man i um you know have been trying to build up strength again and, and things like that picked up golf after like two months picked up nice. running after three months so I'm, I'm working out i'm trying to get there wow good for you that's intense yeah. you know i've never broken a bone which i shouldn't be proud of because that just shows i'm like a wimp and i'm never doing anything that would break a bone <laughs> well this is the first bone that i've broken so Okay, so that's not that bad. You got I'm a like, few years. I do Pilates, whatever. Like I, I'm kind of like indoorsy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Richard, thank you so much. This was seriously amazing. I think this is gonna like blow people's minds. I appreciate so much you taking time to talk to us yeah. on So What Else, the first man on So What Else. You heard it here, folks. Thank you so much. We love it. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe right now before you go. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for our next episode. You can catch So What Else anywhere you get your podcasts or at CaitlinElliott.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Artwork by Caroline Chicola and editing and everything else by Scott Elliott. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you.